All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another day of Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Tuesday, January 17th of 2023. Got a four-game NBA slate, an eight-game hockey slate, and we could possibly be uh, looking ahead a little bit to golf on Thursday. A little bit of a strange golf tournament this week. Had a question about it already come in, so happy to talk about any golf looking ahead. But for those of you who are new here, welcome. My name is Andrew, one of the coaches over here at SaberSim. This is a show where we go over how to use the SaberSim app, answer any and all DFS-related questions that come in in the Office Hours channel over in our Discord server. If you are not joined up in our Discord, there is a link in the description below to get joined up. Highly recommend it, as always. A lot of good conversations happening over there each and every day. Uh, if you're just tuning in, have questions, throw them in the live YouTube chat. That is a uh, great place. I just peeked and Patrick is already hitting some of the hard-hitting questions. Uh, we can definitely talk about some of the issues FanDuel has been having, uh, but, but uh, you know, quite a strange situation over there. We'll talk about it further. But for anybody tuning in, throw your questions in the live chat. We'll get to all the questions before the end of the show. Promise you guys that, as always. Uh, gonna get Saberson pulled up here. Had one question. Uh, you know what? I'll just answer Patrick's question first. Uh, what's your hot take on the FanDuel debacle? You know, it is uh it is really, really crazy. Um, frankly, I don't think it's good, you know, for DFS in general. Uh if if you know one DFS giant can't, you know, get their act together, uh be be consistent or or um you know it's not it's not cool to cancel slates i'd say you know saturday was like really crazy you know i was entered on fanduel for the two game saturday slate and they just wiped it you know they wiped the fanduel uh nfl saturday slate the mma slate and then i think yesterday they were having more issues and ended up canceling the after hours nba slate so so not really sure what's going on. You know, they just went through like a really big redesign with their lobby. And so it seemed like they were trying to make some improvements. You know, maybe it's in a an effect of, of that or what. But um, interesting to see FanDuel, you know, making some U, U, UI changes and then, you know, uh, showing some, some life, trying to do something with their DFS product. And then now going and, and having all of these issues over a three-day period, so so kind of weird. Uh, really hope to see them, you know, fix this and, and get back to stability. I think it's better for the DFS ecosystem in in general. But uh, Fanduel is gonna Fanduel, I guess. So uh, had had one question here from Rum Runners. Uh, he he clarified it a little bit for me. Uh, you know, for anybody playing golf this week, I think this is just important to uh, to know and, and be aware of, right? for the American Express uh, tournament this week. Kind of a strange uh, tournament. They are using three different courses. Uh, players will be playing on three courses over the course of, of the weekend. I, I don't know the exact format or how every player, you know, plays uh, each course. If it's like the cuts after three days, I'm not sure if anybody's aware, you guys can let me know, but um, just, uh, you know, question that run runners had, which I'm sure other people will have. Uh, this week, there are three courses being used in the PGA tournament. Say one course plays two shots harder than the other two. 
I would like to be able to easily minimize or eliminate exposures to players who are on the harder course. This is mainly for showdown contests, but could be used on the main slate if one day is expecting worse weather conditions. Uh, so one thing, you know, I just wanted to um, mention in regards to this. So we do know, you know, which players are playing on which courses on which day, right? So if you're playing, you know, uh, I, I'm assuming this isn't going to be as big of a problem for, for the weekend because I'm assuming every player will play on each course. Uh, but if you're doing showdown, right, and, you know, there are a group of players that are playing on course one, and course one is, quote-unquote, uh, two shots easier than course two. So you might want to play more players from course one in your showdown contest, right? Uh, we We know that. We understand what players are what on what courses. So you should probably be able to see that in the projections, right? Um, we don't have the ability to, you know, show you which course a player is playing on. That is not going to be in the app for you to like build, build groups off of or anything like that. But you will be able to still see tee times. Uh, what I would do is if, you know, you are interested in, building groups based on, you know, what players are playing on which court, which courses on a given day. If you're doing showdowns and things like that, I would go and get that from somewhere online. You know, I think the PGA tour does really good with, with data and tee times and, and course information. Um, you could go in, you can go online, search that, find it, and then come in here and, and build groups, right? Like do do some manual groups, group these players out. Uh, might be a little time consuming, but if if you are somebody who wants to get that granular, that's that's what I would suggest. That's what the team suggested. Um, I took that back to the team, and and that is basically what they suggested. People do if they do want to build groups like that, but but just just be sure that you know if if we know that John Rom is shooting on course is you know playing on course one, which is easier. And Scotty Scheffler is playing on course two, which is harder. That is going to be reflected in the projections. So not something we feel that users actively have to worry about. But if users want that extra control with rules and groups, uh, go online, find those uh, courses or course groupings and create groups in the app. That would be the best way to go about it. But, you know, I saw that question came in. You know, golf is a growing, uh, you know, growing sport probably one of the most active growing sports in the DFS ecosystem. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of people uh, in the golf streets this weekend. So wanted to get that out to everybody. But that being said, you know, if anybody has any questions, now is a great time to get them in. I actually do not have any more questions in the Discord. Uh, we touched on Patrick's question here. Looks like Uncrabby Cabby just dropped one in the queue. Said, hey, Andrew, do you use the Sims to help determine with going a more balanced build of exposures versus a more exploitative build? Uh, this is a good question on Krabby Cabby. I, I would say that, you know, the way, uh, how would I say this? I play different sports differently, and I've learned what type of player I am in different sports or even different formats over time. I think a good example for me is probably NFL. Um, for NFL, in NFL Showdown, I like to consider myself what would be uh, considered more more balanced. I'm pretty flat 
uh, exposure or, or leverage across the across the board, especially for captains. Um, that that is a result of of my process and of a lot of trial and error. But if I were to go and play an NFL classic slate, like a main slate, I'm probably much more exploitative. Um, you know, I've just found over time that those two different strategies for those two different sport types tend to uh, lean better into like the type of player that I am. I think that, you know, if you are trying to find inferences for where, whether you want to be exploitative or balanced on a given slate, I think a research build helps a lot, right? If you go into a research build and there is just like minimal positive or negative leverage in, in one direction or the other, what that would probably say to me is that you're probably playing a well-priced slate. So I think that, you know, on a well-priced slate, I think this is probably a good one. Just looking at this uh, right now that, you know, our highest value play is 5.54 points, uh, you know, points of value, which is, which is fairly low, right? In, in, if you play basketball regularly, you know, you're going to see plenty of values over six. That is when like the leverage really starts to open up. And then, you know, sometimes we'll get leverages, you know, in the sevens, I mean, values in the sevens values in the eights where plays are just really, really good. Right. So I think that, you know, based on the value of the slate will kind of determine um, whether or not you should be more balanced or, or more, exploitative um and then you know coming from this value perspective i think a research build would show you that right um if we were to just run one right now i'm going to make two quick adjustments to projections here and then i'm going to run five thousand lineups and we're just going to let this build but but yeah you know i think that you know based on slate context you could determine whether or not you want to be more aggressive or or not in that instance. So I don't think that, you know, I think a research build reinforces that idea, but I think that, you know, some of the slate components that we can see in the home screen can give you a pretty good idea of what direction, uh, what what type of slate this is going to be, right? So, so I'm going to open this up to 5,000 lineups here. I'm going to sort by leverage. Uh, we're seeing a lot of leverage to Jeremy Sokan. I think that, you know, one thing I do want to caution is that um, on these slates where there is not as much, you know, value, um, you got to save money somewhere. And the, these slates get interesting because I think what happens is that, you know, the field will just gravitate towards whatever play is going to save them money and pack in points per dollar, especially using a traditional optimizer, right? And on a slate like this where the value is not that high, you know, my um, my intuition and, and my experience has kind of led me to believe to be to be cautious of these plays, right? On On a different slate with some value, you know, we might not be seeing any of these guys that we're seeing so much of today. Right. But that's why slate context is important. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, just because there's nowhere else to look does not mean that these guys are now a smash play. So, so just be a little cautious in that sense. I think that's all I'm really trying to say at the end of the day is just be a little careful with 
with, well, you know, there's no other value. So I'm just going to jam in these guys who are like kind of value. You know, I, I would be careful. Like this is a slate where I would probably be a little flatter rather than take these really big stands on wherever the builder seems to find, seems to think there is some sort of value. Right. So I, I would be probably a flatter on some of these guys like Sokan and, and O'Neal and, and Curry on a day like today. But I think that, you know, there is definitely something to be said where, you know, there are days where you could be more exploitative and then there are days where you could be uh, less exploitative. I think some of these slate context, slate dynamics can lead you in that direction and help you figure it out. But I, I probably would, would do some more um, thinking in the home screen prior to running a research build, but really good question there on Krabby Cabby. Uh, Patrick said, does mini neeks make a difference in PGA? I had 90% Tom Kim. So Patrick, I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, mini neeks would help any type of, you know, exposure um, adjustments. We talk a lot about how using mini neeks can organically really um, diversify your pool and organically move exposures around for lots of players at once, right? You're kind of putting the builder in an awkward position for the builder, right? You're, you're making it think, making it solve a problem, making it make a decision, right? Like, you know what? Two players have to be different. Like, you know, and that's not what the builder wants, right? The builder wants to play, you know, those top 20 and jam in what it perceives to be the best expected value plays, right? But that's because the builder doesn't understand diversification, doesn't understand risk management, and and all of those things that you as the human you know in this man plus machine environment needs to take into account right so because the builder doesn't understand those things you know you need to like ask it questions and make it think and put it in these hard uh situations so when you say you know two players must be different in every single lineup now the builder is put to a test and has to figure out who is least valuable, right? And who is most valuable. And what it will do is it will keep the players that it perceives to be most valuable and move around the positions where the players are a little more, um, you know, equal or, or can be swapped out and not lose that much EV, right? So we could just do a test of this. I think that's probably a good example here. I'm going to open this up to 150 lineups and, you know, top exposure, Cam Young. Like, let's see what happens to Cam Young as we increase these min uniques, I think, you know, one thing off the bat, you know, we're not going to be able to get this min unique value that high, uh, mostly because there are only six players in the lineup, but that's fine. We'll take what we can get here. Let's open this up to two. And um, Cam Young went from 50 to 55 to 50 here. I'm going to drop this down. I want to see how far down in my pool we are going as we apply these min uniques. Uh, Cam Young down to 34%. So, so at this point, you know, we are saying that three out of six players, so half of the lineup, must be different in every single lineup. Um, we're only at lineup 752. I think this is totally fine. You know, in a in a normal golf slate, you're not going to need the optimal to win on most days, right? Uh, 100, usually like 160 golfers in the pool with a cut, you probably will not need the optimal. So I think it's totally fine to use min uniques here. I think one thing that's really interesting is that, you know, if we go back down to one min unique here, uh, we saw John Rom at about 
And then we saw four guys above him, right? Burmester, Fowler, Jason Day, Cam Young. And as we increase this to three, all three of those guys, Day, Young, Burmester, have dropped. And it, what this is telling me is that, you know, John Rahm is the most valuable piece to consistently continue to have in your lineups. That should come as no surprise to anybody. You know, he won the first event uh, two weeks ago and then, you know, is just one of the top golfers um, on the tour, uh, you know, is I believe is the highest salary guy. So, so that all makes sense. But it is really interesting that, you know, when you put the builder to this test that, you know, you, you might have thought off the bat that, you know, Cam Young is the best play of the slate, right? He is, you know, our top exposure and, and, you know, the only guy above 50%. But then as you put the builder to this test, it is actually telling you that, you know what, I think John Rahm is actually the best play of the slate. And another way you could probably figure that out is by using this pool exposure. You know, he's coming up more about 5% more in our pool of lineups than any other golfer is. I think that is probably another signal that he is probably a really good play. Um, but, but using men uniques has a lot of value in golf. In my opinion, the only thing I would be worried about is, you know, you're going to see these, uh, really low owned guys probably start to get jammed in here. I, I haven't looked at this slate at all. I don't know if Adam Hadwin and, and Ricky Fowler are, are good plays or not, but this is a lot of ownership for, for really low owned guys, right? We see a 1% owned Hadwin, a 0.1% owned Fowler, a sub 2% Burmester, you know, sub 1% list. And, 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 and the list continues right in that sense. Uh, not trying to, to make a pun there, but you know, that is also a result of, of using men uniques, right? If you are forcing in men uniques, you are forcing the builder to get different. So the only way the builder can do that is by playing plays that he was not playing already. Right? So I would be careful. One thing that you could do is check to see the exposure to like the lowest projected plays that are getting into your lineup. Right? Uh, one lineup with Brian Stewart. I'm not that worried about that. You know, some of these, these look okay. You know, I think the builder is going to do a very good job in general. You know, pretty interesting that Landry here is matching his pool exposure. So like so far, you know, everything the builder is doing, I'm okay with, right? I think what would concern me is that, you know, if, if I only have 15 uh, Van Ruin lineups in my entire pool and 10 of those were being used in my 150 as a result of my min uniques, I would probably be pretty concerned about that. So those are the things that I want to like caution you guys of, you know, when, when you put the builder to the test, it's going to have to make decisions. You just want to make sure that it's making the right decisions or, or, or decisions that you are uh, in agreement with. I think what we're seeing here is perfectly fine. I don't have any issue with the way the builder is handling this. Um, but, but, but you should spot check those things. I think, I think that's kind of the message, you know, spot check what the builder is deciding to do when put in a hard position and determine if you're okay with that. You know, are you okay with, you know, double the pool uh, exposure to Luke list at, at sub 1%. And if the answer is yes, great, but that is something you should be spot checking and making an active decision on rather than uh, just, not looking and, and letting it fly. Right. So I would just, 
encourage you guys to, you know, do some spot checking, make sure you're comfortable with all of those decisions based on some of these diversification efforts that you are making. But really good question there, Patrick. Happy to talk about that. Uh, Prince fan said, hello there. I have been unsuccessful in every PGA golf tournament I have tried to play. I use default settings in SaberSim and choose the lineups that are generated. Do you have any tips? Um, Prince fan, you know, I think that some of the things that we, we just talked about are, are really important. Um, one thing I, I would say that I don't know, I don't know how many contests you're playing or how many lineups you're building on a given slate. Would really recommend building as many unique lineups as you possibly can. You know, get a good amount of 20 max and 150 max lineups. You know, balance that with your elevators, your single entries and three maxes following the DFS profit plan. If you're not aware of the DFS profit plan, you can find it over on our YouTube channel. Uh, it's a it's a great resource for contest selection. We talk about it all the time. You can find it under this new here, start here first, start winning more with our DFS profit plan. Uh, golf is a high variance sport. You know, golf is a sport that does not have a lot of correlation. Uh, ownership is is usually very accurate. You know, if if there was ever a DFS sport that was closest to being solved. It would be golf, and that makes golf a very hard sport, right? So I, I would I would be careful with you know your bankroll investment. Uh, if you're playing within that two point five to five percent range, I would probably play on the lower side. You know, uh, golf is ultimately a very hard sport to beat. So so I wouldn't get too discouraged. Um, I would exercise bankroll management. I would try to play as many unique lineups as I can and get in you know uh, as many you know one hundred fifty max twenty max contests as possible. So, you know, I'd probably lean more on like the 75% range for my diversifiers and then lean more on the 25% range for my single entries in three max, as opposed to being closer to 50, 50. If you check out that video, you'll understand a little bit more about what I'm talking about. If you are not already familiar with it. Uh, Patrick said, we just want to find the TJ McConnell in every slate. Yeah, dude, guy has been, uh, Nuts. I think I saw he was like nine for nine with like four for four from three. Sounds like a 99th percentile outcome for him. I, I would not expect that of him on a regular basis, especially uh, off the bench. All right. Marky Mark said, what's your recommended minimum filter projection on an NBA player? I think this is a really good question. So if you go over to our NBA, um, you know, an NBA slate, we are going to have a default filter in here. And I believe the default, oh, I was messing around with some stuff earlier. Uh, let me get rid of this. So I believe that if you go uh, to a new NBA slate for the first time, I'm going to try this out. There should be a default filter here. And the filter, I believe, should be set to 13. I can't get it to recreate because I already got rid of it. But usually the default filter is set to um, 13 by default. What I have done since we have come out with the new sim diversity change is, you know, it used to be sim variance. It's now sim diversity. The way the slider works is a little bit different than it used to, but it is ultimately better than it used to. I've actually loosened the reins on, on the filter. I like to set my filter even lower to something like seven. Um, you know, we can see that there are 63 players removed at a seven projection filter. If I'm going to change this to 13, which is the default, that's another 13 players that are removed from the pool. Um, I don't I don't think it's wrong to leave it at the default. I think the default is fine. But I'm basically I'm at a point where you know I trust SaberSim so much that I am okay giving it more control and allowing it to put even 
lower projected lineups in the lineup as it sees fit. And I do some spot checking the same way we were just looking at golf. You know, I will run a build uh, like this one here, and then I will come into the build, you know, after I have kind of made my adjustments and done what I've wanted to do, and then see at what rate it is putting the lowest projected plays into my lineup. And, you know, what I will do is that usually involves coming down here and, and looking at these plays and seeing how many of them got into this lineup. I don't know what the projection filter was set at for this build. It actually looks like it was set to about 18. So the projection filter was not letting anybody below 18 into the lineup. You know, let's go into the home screen. Let's set it to seven and then let's see what this looks like. Right. So I'm just going to run a 1500 build 1500 lineups here just to save a little time. But you know, we've done this test on the stream before. I think one thing that we've really noticed is that even with additional control or additional, um, you know, loosening of the range, Samerson still does a really good job of not getting the worst plays into your lineups. So, so if we were to go down here, you know, and sort by projection, you know, we're looking at the top 150 lineups here. Uh, we we changed that projection filter to seven. You know, we see our first player comes into play at 11, right? One lineup in 150 with Vlatko Kankar. Uh, this is the only lineup he is in in the entire pool, right? I'm interested to see what this lineup looks like. You know, I can hit the magnifying glass to find the lineup with him in it, right? Uh, the First things first, you know, this is our 32-ranked lineup. So it's not, you know, right at the edge of our 150. It's pretty high up there, right? Uh he is questionable. He is min-priced. You know, this gives you an opportunity to just do a quick spot check. You know, maybe you go over to uh, Basketball Monster and see what the injury situation for Denver is, right? I'm pulling it up over here on the side. Looks like Bones Highland is questionable and nobody else. Looks like everyone else is in. You know, it is a four-game slate, uh, you know, pretty short slate. And, you know, may maybe, you know, if Bones sits, then... Uh, he could be higher up in the, you know, off of the bench list. So just this gives you an opportunity to say, you know, you know what? I'm okay with this one lineup taking a shot on this guy. Or, or you know what? You know, I don't want to play it and and I can just trash it and and find a different lineup. But I but I think that, you know, what what what's really interesting is that you you know, these players are under 13, right? This is one player under 13. Saberson is putting this guy in your lineups at the rate that it at the rate that Saberson thinks he is okay to be played. So, like Saberson saying, yeah, in, in one lineup out of your 150, I think it is okay to play this guy. And and I would probably leave that lineup, especially on a four-game slate. You got to get different, you know, really low owned. Um, I'm I'm totally fine with that play. I think, you know, where it kind of gets interesting here is that you know, if we were to so so we lowered that threshold from 13 to seven. There was only one player in one lineup used below that range. So, you know, the, the builder does a really good job of fading these guys in at the rate that it perceives they should be in your lineup and not playing bad plays. You know, there was a similar question, you know, why is the min salary lowered from lowered to 48,000? It used to be higher. Uh, it's, it's the same concept, you know, giving Saberson more control, if we were to look at all your top lineups, you know, we are using all of the salary just because we're loosening that, you know, it's more of an example of the builder doing what it is supposed to be doing. So I, over time, I've gained a lot of trust of the tool. 
um, you know, that comes with um, experience and, and usage. I think the more you use it, the more you will learn what it is really good at and figure out where its faults are so you can uh, find those things. I can't think of any off the top of my head because, you know, the team just does a really good job of addressing those issues and, and figuring out ways to uh, account for that. But good question there, Marky Mark. Um, so, you know, in other words, the lowest number to set, uh, Marky, uh, Patrick said, you know, I set mine at zero now. Uh, Patrick, you know, I've, I've talked to Jordan. I know Jordan does the exact same thing. Jordan sets it to zero. Uh, I like to have, you know, some threshold, but but I think setting it to zero is is fine. And and you can go, you can run builds and go in and look and see what it puts in there. So nothing wrong with setting it to zero. And um, you know, especially on small slates, right? Especially on like these these two gamers, these three gamers, these four gamers. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of trust in the tool. I think that is totally okay. Uh, follow up to this conversation. Patrick says, speaking of projection filter, how do I get rid of the default setting when opening up the MBA slate? Sometimes I tend to forget to remove it if I was building a lineup two minutes to lock. Uh, this is a question that that came in. I saw there was some discussion internally around, you know, this in regards to our support team. Um, like like Patrick saying, like I kind of mentioned at the beginning, if you open up tomorrow's slate, the first time you open it, it will it should carry over whatever the last projection filter you used was. I don't think that's happening 100% of the time. So the team is aware of it and looking into it. But but just a note for everybody, you know, whatever projection filter was last used should carry over to the next slate, similar to the way rules work, right? Uh, if you have a rule, you know, maybe like no more than three players from one team, that rule should also carry over to the next slate so you don't have to continue to uh, set it and use it every time. So, so Patrick, the projection filter thing is something that we are looking into and uh, should have some more info to come on that in, you know, the, the next week or so. Uh, Marky Mark said, would you get players in lineups with zero projection? Uh, so, so, you know, based on our test, you know, we, we lowered it to seven and we still didn't get any players, you know, at, at that low of a threshold. So, so the answer is no. And then he said, an X mark should be present when you select the filter. So, so usually if you set a filter, uh, whatever players do not meet that filter, um, will be, um, automatically unchecked from the pool. So just so you guys know, any filter, you know, these guys will be unchecked as long as this filter is active. You can choose to hide these players uh, using this little hide remove players icon, or if you want to see them, you can uncheck it and, and they will be visible to you again. Patrick said, uh, default projections save you from making a disaster mistake, but I'm, I'm a high risk type of player. I'll take my chances. Uh, will SaberSim allow me to build lines with no projections? but use ownership projections instead. I asked because I feel like MMA and PGA doesn't really need projections. Uh, frankly, I don't know. I've never tried that. That is, you know, a very strange concept. Uh, it, it kind of blows my brain a little bit. You know, you're basically saying that, you know, I don't care about projection. I only care about ownership and exploiting ownership i would be very careful with that concept i think that you know if that's something that you're interested in 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 learning more about and, and thinking more about i would post that in the discord right uh, a lot of sharp minds in the discord the discord is a place especially the channels where 
you know, other SaberSim uh, employees and, and staff are, are around, are, are actively uh, participating in discussions in the channels. You know, if that's something you're thinking about and, and want some feedback on, you know, go into the Discord, post it in the golf channel and see what other people have to say, right? I mean, we have a lot of sharp people in the community and it is a uh, definitely a conversation starter type question there, Patrick. So I don't really have any thoughts on it myself um, about, you know, using no projection and, and only exploiting ownership. I think there's a salary component there probably. Something that would probably make a little more sense to me would be to set everybody to the same value. Uh, then players are really treated equally, right? And then the ownership is really the only thing that is different about them, right? If I have John Rom at, you know, zero projection, and then I have, you know, um, Burmester, who was somebody who we were talking about at zero projection, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of matters. I get, or I guess if, I guess if all their projections are zero, then all of their value is the same as well. But I think that it, it might be pretty weird to, to set everybody to zero mean projection, but definitely a conversation starter would, would throw that in the golf channel and see if you can get any feedback there. All right. Uh, hopping back to discord question here from, uh, Luke Diesel question says, do you like stacks in NBA or do you just let SaberSim do its thing? Uh, for the most part, I'm not actively searching out stacks in NBA and that's mostly because of correlations, right? Uh, we can see, you know, I just clicked on the highest projected player here, Nikola Jokic. Uh, he is very uncorrelated to, in a, in a positive way to basically everybody on the slate and has some slight negative correlations, but, but just in general, basketball is a low correlation sport. So I'm not looking to capitalize on stacking for the most part. I think the only thing I'm doing with stacking is making sure that I'm not getting too big of stacks, right? I know a lot of people use a no more than three uh, players per team stacking rule. That's mostly because, you know, the number of fantasy points in, in a game is, is limited. And if one person is shooting, that means another person is not shooting and, and that limits upside. Um, but, but that being said, you know, I think that there are times where allowing more than three players from the same team into your lineups is definitely viable, especially when teams are missing star players, especially when teams are, um, resting. And, and in those situations, I like to allow for it. So, I'm somebody who doesn't set the rule. And then what I will do is I will come into the post build here and then I will just check my team stacks. You know, am I getting any five stacks? You know, there's a lot of Brooklyn five stacks, right? Uh, what? But I'm also getting a lot of them in my pool. So that makes me feel a little more comfortable about it. Uh, what do these stacks look like? You know, why am I getting to these stacks? I, I know that Kevin Durant is out. Um, is that enough to to for me to feel comfortable playing this many Brooklyn five stacks, you know, that is kind of where it comes into play for me. I, I like to look at it more under this lens. Uh, pretty interesting that, you know, we have 22% Brooklyn four stacks in our pool, but we have none of them, but then we're, you know, kind of jamming in the Brooklyn five stacks. I think in a sport like basketball, you know, I'd probably be leaning more toward these four stacks, which we have higher pool exposure to than these five stacks, which we have lower pool exposure to. Um, and maybe, maybe I try and even out that, that uh, distribution across my set of lineups, but I'm more spot checking in the post build. 
letting the builder do what it wants to do. You know, I don't think it's right to come into this build and, and you know, you're basically discounting if you set that rule. 22% of the lineups that Sabersim wanted to build that Sabersim believes to have uh, the highest expected value. So that is, oh, okay, I had five stacks filtered. That's That's what was messing me up there. But, you know, if we unfilter it, now we're getting a lot more of these four stacks into our pool. But, but you know, getting back to my point, you know, you are you are discounting, you know, this 22% plus this 7%. That's like 30% of lineups that Sabersim thinks belongs in your top, top 1,500 lineups. And, you know, a percentage of those that end up in your top 150 that you were just saying no to. I think that's probably wrong. I think you should let the builder build those and then come into the post build and then make a decision about how many of those you want to take with you into your lineups, right? I think that's why hard and fast rules I typically advise against because slate context, slate dynamics are are so important. You know, a four-game slate as opposed to like a 12-game slate, the way you approach those should just be very different, right? And And allowing for that nuance that the builder is able to account for and, and going from there is probably the best approach in my opinion. All right. Uncrabby Cabby said, how are you handling high projected players that are low owned, but with low pool percent? Um, good, good question. I would say that I'm probably handling them cautiously. So, you know, for instance here, you know, let's see what we're looking at. Um, if I were to sort by projection, you know, I don't I don't think we're seeing that on this specific slate. I think mostly because um we are so limited with our with our player pool. But I I think that there's something to be said, you know, about those plays specifically. You know, player is probably highest owned on the slate. They're low owned, but they're showing up in a low amount of pool. I think that says that one thing, you know, I think ownership is is fairly good in NBA. So there's probably a reason that player is low owned, right? Um, on like, from like an industry perspective, you know, that player is probably low owned for a good reason. But, you know, these players have high upside, right? You can see that in the percentiles. You know, if you go back to the home screen, um, you could come in here, sort by projection descending and, and see that, you know, what, these players' upsides are, you know, maybe you sort or no, we were talking about uh, projection. So, you know, come in here by projection and see that, you know, Jokic is like the only guy pushing 80 for his, you know, 95th percentile. Kyrie is a close uh, second at a big ownership disc at a big salary discount, which is probably why we are seeing a lot of him, but which is probably why he is also twice as owned as, as Jokic. So that all kind of makes sense to me, but I don't think there's anything wrong with, trying to get to some of those high projected plays that the field is not looking at that have huge upside and, and playing a little bit of them, right? Maybe you play them, you know, at their ownership. Maybe you want a little bit of leverage on them. I think it's okay to play them at, at a rate that you're comfortable with. Um, but, but, you know, I think that ownership is generally pretty good. So I'm not trying to get too crazy with them, you know, jam them in for like every lineup in my pool, but I'm definitely, you know, taking note of, you know, this player is the highest projected player, but is low owned. You know, there's a reason he is the highest projected player, could easily be the highest scoring player on the slate. Um, you know, maybe I want to play some of them. And I think that's totally an okay approach to to come with. 
Uh, Marky Mark said, no more than three is my set uh, set rule for NBA except for two-game slates. Yeah, I think, you know, having these exceptions is important. I, I would challenge you and say, you know, why not for three games? Why not for four games? Uh, why do you make this rule for only two-game slates, right? Um, you know, we ran a build with without that rule, and we saw so much five- and four-game stacks for, for Brooklyn specifically. So, you know, do, do you want to, you know, cut all of those lineups out uh, right off the bat? Or or do you want to at least, you know, think about it a little bit? Saber Sim is telling you to think about it, uh, you know, and and do you really want to do that for this slate? And then then make a decision, but at least run a build with without that input and let Saber Sim give you some, some thoughts of how it thinks you should play this slate prior to make, prior to going and setting that hard and fast rule. I think if you run the build, run a test build, and then, you know, you see the, the outputs and then you say, you know what, I still want to use it. I think that's fine. But at least you took the time to contemplate that approach and were a little more open-minded about it as opposed to being closed off and just uh, running with that heuristic no matter what the slate context is. All right, Patrick said, I wanted to run the majority 5-1 and 4-2 stacks in last night NFL showdown, but I had some 3-3 stacks pop up after the build. When I hit the subtract, the three three stacks are gone. I'm just confused. Where are the other lineups that supposed to fill the deleted three three stacks? Also, the trash button. I'm confused by that as well. Uh, be glad you have a job, Andrew. I know Brett Maher won't later this week. Uh, you know Brett Maher. You know uh, I I don't know what happened to him. You know I he was you know I play season long just like with family and friends and. And, you know, he was, like, a really good kicker all, all season long. I, I remember him hitting, like, multiple 50-yarders, you know, was, like, a top-five kicker in, in season long over on ESPN. I'm pretty sure when I had checked, that was probably, like, week 13 or so. So so really sad to see him, you know, just kind of fall apart last night. Thankfully, you know, it didn't cost his team the game. Uh, hopefully he can bounce back. Um, but interesting, we'll, we'll see how that situation unfolds yeah neil's with me maher was awesome this year got the yips he will be fine yeah i i thought he was good all year uh from from what i can remember you know i didn't go back and look at anything but i thought he had a pretty good year so thankfully it didn't cost his team the game so i think if you don't cost your team the game uh you might get a second chance there so hopefully he comes back strong next week but but getting back to this question um you know i i do want to talk about this i think this is really important as we get into uh, playoff football, you know, a lot of showdowns, especially with, with the formats, right. You know, I think this, uh, this is probably a Saturday, Sunday thing here, two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. Uh, so, so if, if you guys are aware, you know, when you're playing these classic slates, when you're doing stack types, right. We do not count defenses as stacks, right. So, so if you have a, if you have a QB plus two, one, where, you know, maybe this is a Patrick Mahomes with Kelsey and uh, Jarek McKinnon, but the Chiefs D is in the lineup. We are not counting the Chiefs D as part of the stack, right? That would essentially make it a QB plus three, but we don't want to do that. Uh, so defense does not get counted as part of this. If you are playing showdown, we do not count defenses as part of a stack still. So, so that's where using stack types with... Um, with hold on i went back to the wrong week 
Uh, that's where using stack types in showdown is a little funky. I think, you know, this is something that the team is aware of and, and that we want to fix, but, but just as like a note of caution to everybody, you know, if you are using, you know, stack types as a, as a big part of your, uh, showdown, you know, framework or, or thought strategy, I, I would be a little careful with that. And I would instead build out group rules. So if you say that, you know, I want to use uh, 4-2 in, in favor of Dallas, what what I would do is I would build a group rule for that and say, you know, use at least four. The reasoning, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to demo that right now. You know, we have these, we have these 4-2 stacks, right? Uh, if I were to click on these, some of these might be 5-1. I think for the majority, it's going to be good. You know, we're spot checking this. These are all four twos, four twos, four twos. Um, but, but you are going to get like some, some sneaky stacks in here where it might be like a five one because the defense is part of it. So I can't find any, you know, right off the bat, which, which is good, right. For the most part, this is going to work, but I would just, um, be really cautious of that in general. Let me see if I could do something here where I come in and, uh, pick the Cowboys defense. So I'm doing like a four, two with the Cowboys D you know what, you know, what? maybe we change this. Um, I could be wrong here. Um, you know, which, which I'm actually really happy about. I didn't know the team had made this change, but it looks like we did. There was a point where we did not include defenses as part of a stack, but it looks like we do now. So, uh, you know, shout out to the team for, for being on top of this and, and being even, ahead of, of what I'm doing here. Uh, this, this is great. This makes stack types more viable, but, but, um, you know, my, my note of caution out the window, you know, shout out to the back end team and the front end team for, for making this change. So you can disregard what I said there, Patrick, but I think it's totally okay to, to use stack types. Then if, if that's the question, uh, let me reverse yours. I had, I had some three, three stacks pop up after the build when i hit the subtract the three three stacks are gone so 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 anytime you hit the 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 minus this is going to show you like lineups that are not three three right so i have 20 lineups here if i hit the three three minus it's gonna say like show me the lineups that are not three three so there were nine three three lineups here and we are not looking at those anymore we are now only looking at the 11 four two and five ones remaining so whenever you use that, it just goes in this little um, filter up here. You can just click on this filter, and then you can get rid of that. And conversely, you know, if you hit plus for the 4-2, it's going to show you only the 4-2s, and it'll show you 10 out of the 20 were 4-2s. If you want to go back to the, the 20, just come in here and get rid of the filter. But that is what is happening when you are using the, the filter icons. That is how to use them. That is what they are doing. Uh, sorting your lineups. You know, it also does it for the pool, right? If we hit minus three, three, it's going to get, it's not going to show you the 185 lineups that were three, three. It is only going to show you, you know, the 315 that are uh, four twos and five ones. So that, that is what the filters are doing, but good question there. Definitely worth clarifying for, for anybody using those things. And I'm glad we figured out uh, the 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 defense thing. I'm I'm really excited about that. Probably will be using some more stack types in my process. But uh, looking here, that was our last question. Thank you everybody for coming on. You know, we had no questions at the start of the show. I I talked about a question with Rum Runners 
that we had already uh, kind of worked through and uh, just to get the show going, but appreciate everybody coming on and, and asking questions, you know, Patrick on Krabby Cabby, uh, Prince fan, Marky Mark, just calling out some of you guys here that, that I'm seeing in the chat. So if, uh, if you guys have any questions that come up, you know, throughout the day, as you guys are building, throw those in the office hours channel, that'll get us started while everybody, uh, you know, tunes in and, and asks questions and participates live. So appreciate you guys all. Uh, good luck in your contest, and I will see you all tomorrow for our Wednesday show, 2 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Saberson channel. But until then, take care.